All right, if we can make our way back to our seats now, we're going to get started. And if you have your Bibles, if you could turn to Romans 14, Romans chapter 14. You know, I, I don't know how you feel about it, uh, but I've just really enjoyed this series in Romans. Um, you know, I've heard it said that Romans is the Himalayas of the Scripture, and I've never climbed Mount Everest, but I feel like with you together as we've gone through this book, I've been climbing Mount Everest of the Bible, and it's been really edifying to me and encouraging to me, and I hope the Scripture this morning, I found it just edified as I studied it this week. We're back in Romans today. Last two weeks, we've taken a break. And we get here to chapter 14. The Apostle Paul is continuing his discussion that he began in Romans 12 about how we live out our Christian faith. And uh, if you remember, just a brief review, uh, we do that by keeping God's mercy in view and offering our bodies as living sacrifices, renewing our minds. Then the next section, we're not to think too highly of ourselves, but we're to give our gifts and use them in the community of God's believers then we're to love each other relationally in practical ways in such a way that we even have love for our enemies and we treat them differently than we did before we were believers. And then uh, we're told to relate respectfully as far as we can with our consciences to the governing authorities submitting to them. And then uh, the section that Mark spoke on three weeks ago, we're to forsake sin and to put on Christ because the Lord's coming back soon. You remember that. That's a wonderful passage of Scripture. So now we turn uh, to our text today, and Jay Strelaus is going to read it for us. Romans 14, 1 through 12. Do not pass judgment on one another. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on a servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than the other while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, <clears throat> whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of God, of himself to God. Thank you, Jay. Let's pray. Lord, we just uh, surrender our hearts to you. We surrender our minds to you. We pray that as we study this text together, Lord, you would open our eyes to see what you want us to see from your word. 
and you'd inspire us and motivate us to obey you, to glorify you, and to live for you together as brothers and sisters in your family, in your body, as we live in the world, not of the world, but bringing your gospel to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Here in this text, the Apostle Paul, uh, God is using him to instruct the Roman church and us this morning for how they were to live with Christian people who, though they agreed on the essential issues of the faith, they lived out their faith in certain disputable matters differently. Uh, They practiced the implications of their faith differently than one another. So in verse 1, if you look there, he divides the congregation into two groups, the weak and the strong. And speaking of the, to the strong, he says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. As one of the translations says, over disputable matters. In our text today, we're being dis- instructed as how we are called to live together as Christians regarding matters that are non-essentials in the Christian faith. Every Christian community is going to have people who practice their faith differently over non-essential matters. And Paul wants us to know that the way we treat each other regarding these non-essential matters really is a reflection of how well we grasp the more important matters of the, of the gospel. And if we get the heart of the gospel, we'll treat each other in a proper way regarding these non-essential matters. So our message today has two points. We're going to answer the question, how are Christians supposed to relate to one another on non-essential matters? And as we consider that, we're also going to consider how believers are supposed to relate to God regarding these non-essential matters. So there's two points. I'll put them both on the board here, and I'll put number two on when we get there as well. But just to give you a sort of a map where we're going. Point number one is this. Welcome other Christians. Don't despise or judge them. And this relates to Christian convictions and other believers. And point two is this. Cultivate convictions that prepare you to stand before God. And this is Christian convictions and God. So we begin with welcome other Christians who differ from you on non-essentials. Don't despise or judge them. So look at Romans 14, 1 through 3 again. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes that he may eat anything, while the person, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for God has welcomed him. Now, to get a clearer picture of what's at issue here, let's look at two other Bible translations besides the ESV of verse number one. The NIV says this, except, rather than welcome, it's the same idea, if you could put Romans 1 up there with the NIV, except him who is weak in faith, without passing judgment on disputable matters. You see, there's a little bit of a, a broader understanding there. Accept him who is, whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. The New American Standard says this, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Now, in church life, there are things that are called disputable matters. Sometimes we call them matters of conscience. These are things that are not specifically given commands to the Christian of how we are to do them. Tim Keller describes them this way. The definition that Tim Keller uses, a a disputable matter or a matter of conscience is a practice about which God has not specifically spoken in his word. He has not clearly forbidden it, 
nor clearly commanded it. It's an area in which we have freedom. So there are some disagreements in the community regarding non-essential matters. Now, it's very important we understand here, we're not speaking of essential matters here. We're not speaking of matters like the deity of Christ or the heart of the gospel, what is the gospel, and what we have to believe in order to be saved. Paul spent chapters 1 through 11 being very clear, and we see in other parts of Scripture when that's at stake, Paul is very clear and very strong that those kinds of changes and disagreements are to be avoided and actually not accepted in the context of the local church. When the gospel's at stake, he is very strong. But here, even though the context is not 100% clear, most commentators agree, and I do agree with them, that Paul is talking about a difference between the predominantly Gentile Christians in Rome and the Jewish Christians in Rome. What's going on in here is probably tied to the development and the history of the church, and it's important we understand that as we, before we apply this to ourselves. If you remember, if you remember what Luke wrote, Luke is the, the, the apostle who wrote the Gospel of Luke. He also wrote the book of Acts. And in Acts 18, verse 2, it records that when Paul was in Corinth, he met a couple there that was from the Roman church. Do you remember their names, Priscilla and Achilla? And they were there because in 49 AD, it doesn't give the date there, but it just says the emperor Claudius had expelled the Jews from Rome. So that happened, that's a historic fact, that happened in 49 AD. Well, Claudius died five years later, and this is written after that. The Jews had returned to the church, but during that time, the church had become predominantly Gentile. The Gentiles, I'm sure, took positions of leadership, and this accelerated the church, a move, move, accelerated the church's move away from its Jewish roots. And now as Jews and Gentile Christians were seeking to live out their faith together, some differences began to come between them that were too pronounced for Pastor Paul to simply overlook. He said, the way you're relating to each other as church members, as your pastor, I'm going to address them now. You can't do this as members of God's church. And you can see in verse 2, the dispute is between one person, the strong, who eats all food while the weak eats only vegetables. In verse 5, we see that the weak esteems one day better than another, while the strong makes no distinction in days. Later in the chapter, we see that there's a discussion about one group drinks wine while the other doesn't. Now, why is this matter about meat here? The idea is that, um, you know, because the, obviously Jesus uh, didn't make being kosher uh, mandatory for Christians. Um, but why, why are the Jews so concerned about keeping kosher? Well, in, in Rome at that time, as they came back, the Jewish population had dispersed, and it was very difficult to make sure that the, the kosher standards were kept. Now, as, as new Christians and as Jewish Christians... They wanted to maintain this way of relating to God as a personal conviction. It wasn't something they were insisting that others do. That would obviously be contrary to the gospel. But as new Christians, they wanted to eat kosher, and they couldn't ensure that the food was going to be kosher. So rather than eat meat, they abstained from eating meat. And they wanted to continue to honor some of the days that they kept in the Jewish calendar because it helped them to remember their relationship with God and who they were and how they were working that out. Well, obviously, the Gentile Christians didn't have those same, that same history. They didn't uh, want to do these things, and they, didn't, they just lived out their faith and the, the freedom that the gospel had, uh, spoke about. 
And so Paul here, in, in, in talking about this difference, is, is making sure they understand how they are to relate to each other on non-essential matters. They're not doing things that are clearly forbidden. They're just simply trying to live out their faith and how they came to the faith. And isn't it true that depending upon where you came from, when you first come to Christ, you live out your faith differently than other people, right? If you come from a very worldly background or you come from a Christian home, whatever your background is, it affects the way you come into the kingdom and the way you begin to practice the faith. We all do that. We all bring different aspects of our background. You know, and, and when you read weak and strong here, it, it, our tendency is to think, oh, bad and good. That's not what Paul's saying here. This is weaker in relation to conscience. The Jewish believers did things that, that obviously the gospel didn't require of them. So Paul describes them as weaker. But if you go to 1 Corinthians 8, where the issue is meat sacrificed to pagan idols, it was the Gentiles who were the weak ones. You see? So sometimes our conscience allows us to do things, and sometimes our conscience, well, we just, we're working it through in our lives, right? You know, when I came to Christ, I used to worship at the Temple of Rock Music, Madison Square Garden. And I saw Led Zeppelin there. I saw the Rolling Stones. I saw the high priest of rock and roll, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> and many, many, many more bands. I lived for music, and, 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 and associated with that was my lifestyle. I would abuse alcohol and drugs. I lived uh, promiscuously. I lived for myself. I was not a believer, and I was worshiping at the temple of rock and roll. So when I came to Christ, I laid aside my rock and roll music. I didn't listen to it anymore. It was a conviction for me because for me, it associated me to my old life. That's kind of what's happening here. Good and bad. These Jews are, they're, they're living out of their old life. You know, so picture me a number of years later when I'm sitting in a classroom with a seminary professor and he makes this pronouncement. Led Zeppelin is the greatest rock band in history. I'm like, what? What? It actually forced me to begin to think about my convictions and how I was even enforcing them in my family. I was now, I was living out of my convictions, but it made me think, is this really something that's forbidden in Scripture? Do I need to impose these same convictions on other people? So, I, say, I share that illustration because let, I want you to think about how, have, how has where you have come from influenced your convictions in the Christian faith? And how do you practice those things in relation to your family members, your friends, your community group members? These are important issues. Uh, this text is encouraging us to be, if you will, self-aware as we live out the, in community with other Christians, as we seek to honor God, as we seek to wrestle with Scripture and ask ourselves, what does it mean to please God? Because that's very important, isn't it? We do want to please God, but we want to think about it when we're living in community with others. And so Paul says in verse 3, look there, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. 
This despising, he's speaking to the strong here. It means disdainful, despising, condescending judgment that comes from feeling superior because you have the right perspective. You're, you're the right one. You're the strong one. These other brothers in the church, yeah, they're accepted here, but hey, they're just not, they're not, not, not where we are because we really know the implications and the freedoms of the gospel, right? You know, and, and, and it's interesting. In this text, Paul is not discussing who's right or wrong. Do you notice that? In, in Colossae and in Galatia, when, when they were applying these things in a way that corrupted the gospel, Paul was very clear on the principles related to them. But when there's freedom, when, when someone's not enforcing their personal convictions on others, he doesn't get into that. He knew that in Mark 7 that Jesus had declared all foods clean. He knew that. He knew that, that you could eat food sacrificed to idols and you could eat non-kosher food. He knew he had that freedom in Christ, but he doesn't address it here. He's, he sees the Gentiles, now the dominant group of the church, and he sees their haughty looks and their condescension. And he actually had addressed this in Romans 11. If you remember from our, uh, just read this one scripture to you because you may have forgotten it. From Romans 11:18, 18, he's speaking to the Gentiles. He says, don't be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who supports the root, but the root that supports you. He's telling the Gentiles, you shouldn't be arrogant towards the Jewish believers in the congregation. There's this divide happening in the congregation. Paul sees their haughty looks, their social separations. And, and the temptation in these situations, when you think you're right and your brother is wrong, what do you do? The temptation is, why don't you come over to my house for dinner? Why? Well, so we can talk. And, and they are, the, the, the issue is not, you don't want to talk, you want to quarrel. You want to argue. You want to point out why they're wrong so you can get them right. That's what he says. Don't welcome them. Welcome them, but not so that you can quarrel about these disputable matters, right? Now, the week, he says another thing. He says, Romans 14, verse 3, he says, Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Now, to the, to the weak, he's saying this word pass judgment. It doesn't mean simply to evaluate, it carries the meaning of condemnation and denunciation. These believers probably consider themselves the true believers. They're connected to the roots of the faith. They really, they understood their history, you know what I'm saying? They practiced those things, and to them, those things really did mean a lot to them, and they were really precious to them. And I'm not making fun of that, but I think when you have this kind of a divide, you can think, well, I'm, I'm the true believer, so... You know, they, they can do the freedom things, but that's not really the roots of our faith. And there's some aspect of that that's true, but it's not a requirement. And um, so to both groups, what does Paul say? He says, stop it. He says, don't do this. Don't separate over non-essential matters. He's very clear. This is really... It's, it's, it's more of a reflection of, do you really get the bigger implications of the unity of the gospel, the uniting power of the gospel, the spirit that brings us into one body as different kinds of people? Do you get that? If you do, stop arguing and fighting about non-essentials. So what are some of the non-essentials that we face here? What, what some of the things that might divide us? I mean, we could even have an argument over what are non-essentials. <laughs> you might take issue with some of the things I'm going to bring up here. I... You can send me your emails if you want to. But 
the point I'm trying to get at is there are things that we disagree on that are disputable, okay? Let me just give a couple. Um, the, let's see, um, I've got more than I can do here, but let's start with the philosophy and, of training and educating our children. What are the principles in the Bible that guide us in this? Well, Proverbs 22, 7 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Ephesians 6, 4 tells us, fathers, don't exasperate your children, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we've got some principles there. Discipline, instruction, training, right? Now, one person comes into the church and maybe he's grown up in the public school system and very worldly and, and he, he says, you know, I read these scriptures and I want to disciple my children. I want to influence my children. I want to be the primary influence in my children's life. I want them to really get a clear view of scripture. I'm going to, my wife and I, we're going to homeschool our kids. That's his conviction, their desire. They do that together. Another couple says, well, you know what? I, we grew up in Christian homes, and we went to a Christian school, and we see the value of a Christian education in the classroom. We're equipped with a Christian worldview. It's rigorous. It prepares us for life. It is dynamic socially. You get to learn to compete and live together with other believers. So we are going to send our kids to it. we got a great Christian school right down the road here. We're going to send our kids to Christian school. That's a good conviction, right? The third couple says, you know what? I grew up as a Christian. I went to public schools. My parents trained me. But you know what? I, when I went to college, I saw some of my homeschool and Christian school friends, and they weren't ready for the, the real world. They hadn't engaged their ideas with the real world. So I, through the youth group and through my parents' training, I felt prepared for college because I went to public school, and they led me through that process. And so we're going to let our kids go to public school, and we're going to be involved as parents, and we're going to train them and we're going to raise them up in the way they should go. So you've got three different people, three different convictions, and all of them are biblical, right? All of them are biblical, right? Now you're in community group together sitting with each other. <laughs> How does the conversation go? That's the kind of thing that we're talking about here. There are other things, you know, we could talk about. I was in a membership interview with someone, and they said that coming to this church was a challenge for them because of the expressiveness in worship here. And they said, they know the Bible tells us to raise our hands in worship and to dance and things like that, but they didn't do that in their tradition. So maybe you're, maybe you're the dancer in worship, right? You're, you're over in the aisles, you're dancing. You're, maybe you struggle with the church because we're not charismatic enough. But what if you're next to the other person who's different than you? They're standing there worshiping God with their whole heart, with their hands in their pocket. And you're worshiping God like this, but you're thinking about your weak. Let's not judge each other, right? Let's all seek to worship God with our whole hearts. These are disputable matters. Now, we can talk, take principles related to this. We could talk about other things, financial stewardship. You know, uh, I, I remember the story of Charles Spurgeon. They, they, he was riding first class on a train, and uh, some, uh, someone, a woman that he knew came up to him and said, you know, uh, Pastor Spurgeon, I'm in third class taking care of the Lord's money. And he said, well, I'm in first class taking care of the Lord's servant. So maybe you're in community group and, and you say we're Christian. You know, we, the principle in Scripture, we give out of the first fruits. We give generously. We give to the work of the Lord. We should give to the work of the gospel. We should give to our local church. 
all of these things are principles that we all obey. So I'm starting with that point. Every one of these people agreed to those points, okay? So one person says, this is a wartime mentality. The gospel's got to go out to the ends of the earth. We're going to not drink coffee. We're not drinking wine. We're giving all that extra money to the gospel. You're not going to criticize that person, right? Another person says, you know, I feel as a parent, I need to prepare to send my kids to college. So I'm going to save this much money. I'm going to give generously, but I'm going to save. So I'm going to live in a lower lifestyle, but I'm going to save so I can pay for my child's education. That's his conviction or her conviction. And the third person says, you know, Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, God gives us all things freely to enjoy. And so I'm a Christian. I'm a child of the king. He's given me resources, and he's made me wealthy. And I'm going to be generous to the church and those in need but I'm also going to enjoy that and use it for the glory of God. I'm going to have a nice house. I'm going to invite the neighbors over. I'm going to have a community group there. I'm going to use it to bless others. You can't criticize any of those people, can you? So you're sitting in community group now, and the issue of stewardship comes up. What's your attitude in your heart? I could go on. There's so many more things that we could talk about. I'm not going to go into all these things, but... Look at Romans 14, verses 3 and 4. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. What should your attitude be to those, person, those people who are different from you? Welcome them. Welcome them because the Lord has welcomed them. The Lord has accepted our brothers and sisters with different convictions on essential matters through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through what Jesus Christ has accomplished on the cross. And we must never forget that whom God has accepted, brothers and sisters, we should not reject. Amen? I want an amen on that one. Our attitude should reflect the attitude of God and his gospel. We should accept those who God has accepted. And this way, our attitude should reflect God's attitude and be a witness and a light to the world in which we live. Fellow Christians should welcome brothers and sisters with different convictions because we all have been accepted and justified, not by what we do, but what he has done. We're not to judge the servant of another. They stand or fall before God. It's like you're working in your company and you're there and you have a, a boss and there's another guy in your company or a gal in your company who's been there longer than you. They do the same job as you. They have more responsibility than you and you're working alongside of them and one day you come into the office and you say, hey, Joe or Mary, I'm, I'm here to do your personal evaluation today. Sit down with me. I'm going to give you an evaluation on your job. And the guy or the gal looks at you and says, you're not my boss. And your boss comes in and goes, what are you doing? They don't serve you. They serve me. This is my company. I'm their boss. You don't get to judge people that God has not given you to judge. Neither should Christians condemn one another about non-essential gospel matters. The church is always going to be made up of people who have different convictions. Let's let that sink in. We're always going to be among brothers and sisters who have different convictions. So we are to welcome, not quarrel or argue on these kinds of things. We shouldn't judge or disdain fellow Christians. This leads us to point to Christian convictions and God. That's Christian convictions and other Christians, Christian convictions and God. 
And this point is cultivate convictions that prepare you to stand before God. This is Christian convictions and God. Romans 15, 14, 5 through 9. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the living and the dead. As you read this portion of Scripture, what do you notice? Notice this. I want you to notice Christians in Rome were asking questions about how they should live in relation to God. Both groups were saying, how do we please God, right? They were thinking about how to please God with their lives and in their choices. They read the same Scripture. They heard the same messages. Presumably, there were house churches there, as we read in Romans 16. But presumably, the pastors made their way around to the different house churches, and they were hearing the same teaching. And what happened? They came to different conclusions about the faith. They're applying the faith in their lives. They're thinking about these issues. They're engaging in them. They're praying, and they come to different conclusions. We're to do that, too. You know, and, and, and it's, it's normal and it's natural. You know, some people think that Christians, when they come together and they become believers, they should, they should look like this group of people here on the screen. If you could just put this group uh, that I, for the next picture. Nope, next one. There you go. Those of you who are familiar with Star Wars knows that's the clone army. They all are exactly the same. They're clones. But you know, we come from a lot of different backgrounds, don't we? And I look around this room. There, some of you were born in Asia. Some of you were born in Europe. Some of you were born in South America. Some were born in Africa. Some were born in Central America. Some of us were born in North America. I don't know if anybody here was born in Australia. Anybody born in Australia? I don't think we have anybody in Australia, but I don't want to leave you out just in case. But I think all the other continents, we have people from here. And we come to the faith from different backgrounds, different cultures. And think about, again, like we talked about earlier, when you came to Christ, how you began to process the things that you were learning, particularly if you didn't come up reading the Bible. I didn't come up into the faith reading the Bible at all. So I, I had to learn everything from scratch. I had to start reading my Bible and ask lots of questions. But think about all the cultural backgrounds that we have different here. It's natural and normal that we're going to practice our faith differently and think about things differently. And it's important I say when, I, when I'm talking about cultivating convictions, I'm not talking about cultivating convictions in non-disputable matters and those things that Scripture clearly commands. We should have convictions about that, but our conviction should be that we should seek to obey God, right? If you look at chapter 1 of Romans and chapter 16 of Romans, at the very beginning and the end, the theme of the book, we, if you, you probably don't remember Mark's first message, but you'll hear it in the last message, the theme of this book is the obedience of faith. Christians are to obey God. You don't have to pray to God, should I rip off my office? Should I lie to my spouse or children? You don't have to pray about that. <laughs> 
You don't have to pray, should I cultivate a relationship, out, a sexual relationship with a person outside the boundaries of marriage? Should I commit adultery? You don't have to pray about things like that because Scripture is clear, do not commit it, right? And so we're talking about how do you cultivate convictions in these disputable matters? Well, first of all, let's just say this. Given our survey so far, let's just be patient with one another, okay? Let's be patient. As we seek to cultivate convictions in community, let's be patient with one another. Let's not insist on agreement from our brothers and sisters on these matters. If we're working through something, let's talk about them together and have conversations about them. The fact that we're not to argue about them doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about them. These are very important things, and we should have conversations. But we should welcome them into fellowship. We should have conversations characterized by the Spirit of God and the brotherhood of the church, right? So that's the way we're to do these things. And um, so let's look at verses 7 through 9 here. How do we cultivate convictions? Well, look what it says here in verse 7. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the living and the dead. Now, in all our diversity, we share one very common link. We've all responded to what we just read there, didn't we? Christ died, and Christ lived again. When you respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God comes and lives inside of you. It breaks the power of canceled sin. And now you are seeking to follow Christ and walk together. And notice what it says there, so that, it says right here, it says, so that he might be Lord of both the live, dead and the living. He might be Lord. We come into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our Savior. He's our friend. But he's our Lord Jesus Christ. We submit our lives to him. We share this in common. We're submitted together to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We are submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so look at the words in our text as he says in verse 9. Consider what verse 9 is saying. I, I put this in my own little words here. It says, it says, for this very reason, to this end Christ died and lived again so that he might be Lord of the dead and living. Another, another, look at verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.15, if you could put that one up there. It says, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but live for him who died for their sake and was raised. It says that in verse 7 that none of us lives to ourselves anymore. None of us dies to ourselves. The clear implication is that in everything we do regarding the teachings of Scripture, everything we do, everything in our lives, it needs to be related to Jesus through the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We're submitted to him. Every, even our disputable, even our disputable matters, we, we have to think about these things and say, how do we best worship God? Notice what it says there, that it says each should be fully convinced in his own mind. Let me ask you a question here. Do you seek to cultivate convictions on these kind of matters in your life as an expression of your worship to God? Do you realize that the way you live your life out is an expression of worship to God. It's not, it's not a fearful thing, but it's, a, it's an honor we get to do. We, in light of what Christ has done, we now are his. We serve him. We live for him. We not only live for him, we think differently about death. We even die to him now differently because he died and rose again. 
The fact that Jesus Christ died and rose again changes everything. You know, so how do we, how do we cultivate these kinds of convictions? Well, it, it, it takes worship. It, we have to use our minds. We have to search the scriptures. We have to think hard. And, you know, we have to actually think about what are our convictions related to the use of money. If you have children, it's very important you think about how you raise them, isn't it? You'll give an account to the Lord one day. You'll give an account to the Lord for the way you use your finances. It's not, it's not because they're disputable matters. We don't just get to say, well, they're not important. I don't have to think about them. No, we have to think about these things because all of our lives are worship. And we need to cultivate biblical convictions related to disputable matters. It's very, very important. I was speaking to some college students, and uh, they were saying to me, this can be very hard in college because there's so many, and it's, it's hard for those people out of college too, actually. It's not just a college student issue, but there's so many opinions available on the internet these days. If you want to know what someone thinks about a particular issue, all you got to do is Google it, and you get 20 different opinions. But that's not a way to cultivate convictions, just listen to someone else and do what they do, because then you just might change your mind next week. That's not really getting your heart into it. So how do we, I want to just give you a few steps to cultivate biblical convictions before we close. Number one, pray, yield your life to the Lord, and ask for direction. It starts with worship. Say, Lord, I want to please you. I want to give my life to you. I want to worship you with my life. Help me to know what you want me to do in this matter. Number two, ask yourself, what direction does the Bible give in context? What principles can you apply to this question from Scripture? And I say in context because we have to read the Bible well, don't we? It's really important we read our Bibles well. Learn to read the Bible well. It's part of being a disciple of Christ. So you don't apply maybe wisdom literature as if it's the same as a command from Scripture when it's just a, a promise. So read your Bible well. What does the Bible teach us in context? What principles can we apply? And then this may sound like I'm contradicting what I said earlier, but what, what can you learn? Read different Christians have worked through these questions. Read through how different Christians, and not just present-day Christians. A lot of the issues we're facing. Now, you're not going to find issues on how to deal with social media with your children from Augustine, obviously. But many of the issues we face have been faced by other Christians. Vince, uh, last week, talked about a, a gentleman who re reads Money, Possessors, and Eternity by Randy Alcorn yearly to cultivate a, a conviction related to, to finances. So read how other Christians have done this. And then number four from our text, are you convinced that you can do this in honor of the Lord? Can you, whatever your decision is and how you're going to practice this, can you do it and say, I'm doing it this way because I'm going to honor the Lord as I do it? And then finally, can you, give, can you do this giving thanks to God? In other words, can you do this joyfully and with a clear conscience before the Lord? Whatever choice you make in these disputable matters, you should be happy in the Lord. As you seek to glorify God, you want, to, you want your conscience to be clear. Now, our conscience, it's another teaching and another time, but our conscience can be well-educated or poorly educated. But I'm talking about a, a well-functioning conscience. You want it to, so if you decide you're going to use your finances in a certain way, you want to be able to do it saying, I do this in honor to the Lord and giving thanks to the Lord. 
That's, that's, that's a way that we can cultivate biblical convictions. So what have we seen from our text today? Well, we are to welcome other Christians, not despise or judge them. We talked about how we had Christian convictions with other believers, and we are to cultivate convictions that prepare you to stand before God. And I just want to encourage you, as, as we go through this text today, to make sure you're really living intentionally worshipful lives to God. That's, that's what our text is teaching us today. Paul is commending both groups because they're living intentionally worshipful lives to God. That's what we're called to do. So as we close, I want to read our final three verses and just make a few remarks about them. Look at verses 10 through 12. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? It gives a, this is the third reason in the text for not doing this. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of you will give an account of himself to God. I think our tendency when we read this verse is to think of it as a threat. It's not what it's intending to do. It's not like you better not judge because God's going to judge you. He's just saying to them the same thing he said earlier. Look at the last verse. Each of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of God. And what's the subject going to be? It's not going to be how you practiced the disputable issues of your faith. It's not going to be how you lived out your life before God. I will give an account of myself. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. The subject matter when we stand before God is not going to be our neighbor. That's the really clear motive for us to live Christian lives of worship before God. We'll give an account, but not for how you handle disputable matters, but for how I handle the obedience matters and the disputable matters. God's going to say, did you live according to my word? Did you live according to my conscience? I gave you the gospel. I gave you my spirit. Did you honor me with your heart and with your life? Not perfectly, obviously, we come in through Christ. But he's going to review our lives with him on that great day. We've received the gospel. We're brothers and sisters. We're now church family members. Our Father is in heaven. Our Spirit is our comforter, uniting us. We get to live in the grace of this gospel. We're to think about how do we honor Christ? How do we live in the good of Christ? How do we honor him in the way we relate to our spouse? How do we live in the way that we relate to our coworkers? How do we live in the way that we relate to our children, our brothers and sisters in the church? There's one Lord, one God, and one Savior. And because he lived and died, we get to live and die for him. We get to give our lives to him and offer our lives as living sacrifices. And the goal, we come from various different places, we've accepted Christ together, is to be one in Christ with all the diversity. We are to lift our hearts together in the unity of the gospel. In Romans 15, 6, which I'm, I'm just going to read the verse, I'm not going to steal Mark's thunder, that's two weeks from now. But the conclusion of Romans 15 and 6, it says the goal, which is Paul is, is, is pointing to as we come together as a, a multi-ethnic, multi-generational community of God, we are to together with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Together with one voice with all the differences that are among us. We're to be unified on the essentials, loving on the disputable. And together with a whole heart, 
worshiping God and giving thanks to God for what he's done for us. Amen? Amen. So um, that's, that's, that's our passage for today. I'm going to invite the band to come forward and we can sing a song. Um, you know, um, I, I, as I was listening to the songs this morning, and we all often will talk about what, what should we sing at the end, there's nothing really that um, sort of speaks about accepting each other with different convictions that we sang this morning. But I thought as we sang that last song, Rejoice. What a great expression of what God calls us to do as uh, brothers and sisters, diverse yet unified. Uh, so let's just stand and let's, uh, let's sing Rejoice and then we'll, we'll close with a benediction.